Be sure to check out our website, planetfearpodcast.com, for links to our social media, contact information, and our latest episodes. You can also find us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us, give us that five-star rating, or hit the like button to let us know you enjoy the show. What is being an empath exactly? So being an empath is um, picking up on other people's emotions without them visibly even showing you the emotions, picking up on their energy, and not just picking up on it, but being affected by it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're a sponge for it. And so I absorb other people's energies, other people's moods, other people's, especially their negativity, their toxicity. If they are being hateful or angry or whatever, it's like it just goes straight into me. And as a mother of two mm-hmm. wonderful boys. Yes. What were your emotional and energy levels like while you were pregnant? Were they different than when you weren't pregnant? Could you tell a difference? I don't know. That's an interesting question because with my first son, I was a very worried, um, freaked out first time mother. I was constantly anxious and worried about every single thing. And with my second one, I was super laid back. I hardly ever freaked out about anything, even when I probably should have. Um, and my first son is a worrywart. He is high strung <laughs> and anxious. And my second child is very laid back and chill. So I don't know if I was picking up on their moods or if I projected and made them the way they are. I don't know. But I would like to say being an empath this is something i've learned recently about myself i've always known that i pick up on people's emotions like if somebody has a weird vibe they don't like me but they're not saying that i know they don't like me even they don't even have to say it like i know or if they're lying to me you know using me um manipulating me that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i know before i even find out what i've learned recently about myself is I don't just pick up on people's emotions and energies. I can influence them with my own energies. That Intentionally? Intentionally, if I chose to. I didn't notice I was doing it until recently. I I just started picking up on I was changing people's moods with my own energy. So you're like a (laughs) supervillain. I could be. But I didn't really know anything about it, and I asked a friend of mine about it. And she was like, oh, yeah, completely. She said empaths can totally do that. Kind of reverse the feed a little bit. Now, there's probably some people that are going to hear this mm-hmm. and be like, oh, okay, come okay. on. That's not real. Yeah. Yeah. But it and is. that's fine. Yeah. Because if nothing else, the study of telekinesis, a lot of that is based off emotional energies. And I think... I can speak for most people. I know this has happened to me numerous times. When you're really upset about something, raging, or just completely heartbroken, whenever you're hitting those those peak emotions, mm-hmm. something around you will move. Something will fall off the wall, or something weird will happen, and you're like, wow, Jedi mind tricks, you know, like, mm-hmm. did I do that? You know, did I cause that to happen? What if... It's not the living that's doing that. Mm. What if it's 
the dead, the deceased, the spirit world feeding off of that energy yeah. and using it to physically manifest and do things. Like a little battery. Yeah. Well, we are the battery. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of uh, paranormal investigators believe that spirits draw energy from whatever that's mm -hmm. around. And the more energy they draw, the more they can manifest and physically interact with our world. Mm -hmm. And that is the theory behind a very famous case that we're going to talk about now. Yes. The Hernandez Poltergeist, also known as the San Pedro Haunting. The world is a fearful place. We are surrounded by people and things that would do us harm. Some walk among us every day, while others lurk in the shadows, a threat unknown. Join us as we discuss all of the things that frighten us most, from the paranormal and unknown, to the true and horrific crimes committed by our very own kind, with Matt Knapp and Lauren Smith on, on Planet, Planet Fear. Fear. so interesting that you know you did your research on this case I did my research on this case and then we both kind of like zeroed in on the same thing with the empath or, yeah I asked to see your notes before the show and you told me no <laughs> I told you no I don't want you to and, I, yeah. and you held them up in the air and I my eyesight restricted me from uh you the caught, lighting yeah. in here is bad <laughs> you caught like the first three <laughs> names on it which aren't yeah. related they're easy to find but yeah this is this is a very interesting case actually so as i was reading this all i was thinking the entire time was i don't like this i don't want to do this show i don't like this this makes me very uncomfortable i'm not in my happy place right now with this show this is hitting the edge of my comfort zone and we have covered some really messed up shit yeah this this is the stuff that makes me very uncomfortable this is that fear of the unknown you know like well this is this is my fear because this is stuff i don't play with i don't even read this kind of stuff because this stuff scares the shit out of me so i'm doing this show against my will <laughs> If at any point someone would like to guest host during this type of show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it's rough. It's just this one's this one scares the hell out of me. The Hernandez case is extremely well known. Mm -hmm. Also known as the San Pedro haunting. Yes. Um, it, I'm sure it's been covered by every paranormal podcast out there. Probably. Of course, we're going to do it. This case was like probably my favorite. Mm hmm. It was a big deal, a really big deal. And I'm sure there's a lot of skeptics whenever mm -hmm. it comes to this case, mm -hmm. understandably. But for the sake of this episode, we're just going to go over the events as they happened and what was presented mm -hmm. and kind of break it down and look at it from that perspective. Yeah. And the best place to start would be with Jackie Hernandez. Jackie Hernandez. She was uh, 23 years old in a bad relationship uh, finally got the nerve to leave her husband and took her son while she was pregnant and moved off to san pedro 
and moved into a little cottage by herself with her son. First time she had ever been on her own. First time she had been alone. Just got out of this relationship. This, you know, I I didn't find any details about if it was abusive or not, but it kind of came across that way, mm-hmm. especially mentally. Yeah, yeah. She's pregnant. She her son was only like two years old. Yeah, so she's a single mother. Yeah, living on her own for the first time. Already terrifying. Taking care of a child, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. She even said that uh, one of her biggest fears was being alone. Uh, not because of ghosts and stuff, but because somebody might break in. Right. And she said whenever she moved into this home that she noticed something. She could feel something was there, a mm-hmm. presence, some sort of energy. But... The house would be easy to break into. She noticed she picked up on that, but she wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. She wasn't afraid of anybody breaking in or anything. It was almost like something was like there watching over her. Mm-hmm. Little did she know. See, this is the this is the reason I don't like this kind of stuff. Because like, oh, I have a benevolent spirit here. It's watching over me. Yeah, but what if it's not? Yeah. That scares the hell out of me. I don't like it. I don't like this, Matt. I don't like it. <laughs> Not to get religious at all, but biblically, mm-hmm. it says not to entertain spirits, not to mm-hmm. try to communicate with them or interact with them or anything, because you do not know their intentions. Right. They, you know, the belief would be they're demonic and they're going to lie to you and they're going to present themselves as friends and family. Mm-hmm. And it's all a manipulation tool. I mean, so for inner, just for the purpose of our previous conversation... She's alone. She's scared of being alone. She's giving off a a heightened emotion of fear. Mm -hmm. So she's putting out a lot of energy in the form of fear. Fear, anxiety. Yes. Um, I believe her ex's name was Al. uh, And he was still coming around. Mm -hmm. He wasn't letting go. Okay. So she's putting out a lot of energy in the form of stress and fear. Protective of her two-year-old son, the unborn baby. Yeah. That alone, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is, is stress. Is stress. That's <laughs> yeah. just a huge amount of stuff going on. Well, then little things started happening around the new house. Strange lights, uh, strange screeching sounds from within the walls. Mm. See, to me, this was called a little thing. This was part of the list of little things. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, if I hear screeching coming from my walls, mm-hmm. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Like right then. <laughs> yeah. Um, the sound of like pebbles falling through the walls. Mm. Shuffling of something in the attic was a big one. See, I grew up out in the country. And so all of that, besides the lights, well, no, the lights too, because of bad wiring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of that, I'm just like, okay, you got rats and you got some <laughs> yeah. birds and squirrels in your walls. Yeah. Like that just, you know. You got varmints. You got varmints. <laughs> Her and a friend witnessed some orbs floating around the room so that was interesting to me in the aspect that right out the gate in this case other people are witnessing the events right whatever this is is not hiding itself Mm -hmm. which usually whenever you hear about paranormal activity like this it presents itself to the people that live at the house, but you don't have other witnesses. You know, it, right. it will happen when you're alone in a mm-hmm. room or something. Her friends, you know, saw the orbs floating around the room. 
Jackie tried to take a photo and saw the face of what she described as an emaciated old man Mm -hmm. staring at her through the window. He runs outside. Nobody is there. That was the first time she saw him. Him. And we're going to say him. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, her neighbor, I believe, or a friend was trying to convince Hernandez to tell the landlord what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, I believe they ran into the landlord out in public somewhere, and they happened to be together at the time. And she ended up telling the landlord, and the landlord actually called priests. To come and exercise the house or bless the house or do whatever. And the priest uh, came to the house. Nothing happened. They thought possibly she was possessed. <laughs> Keep in mind, she's still pregnant. Mm-hmm. After the priest left, it was either the next day or shortly thereafter, where Child Protective Services showed up uh, with accusations that she might be on hallucinogenic drugs oh my God. Uh, while she's pregnant. No single mother, especially in her situation, wants child protective services to show up. No. That's just going to amplify all the emotions that she Mm -hmm. has, all the fears. Every parent's biggest fear whenever you're not doing anything wrong, but, you know. And and what do you say to them? Yeah. It's not me. I'm not on drugs. It's not me. It's a a ghost. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It's, yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're going to take the kids away right there. Yeah. After the birth of her daughter, Samantha, things started to escalate. Here, you've got a newborn. More energy being given off. More emotional energy. Mm -hmm. Now you have another baby there giving off emotional Mm -hmm. energy, possibly. Yeah, the stress goes up. Hormones and emotions go nuts. Um, You know, she's not sleeping. She's tired. And it it seems like, from my own experience, I've always been attacked whenever I was extremely stressed and extremely exhausted. So basically, when I'm putting out high emotions and high energy and I'm too exhausted to fight it off. Mm -hmm. She's in that situation. So one of the first things that happened after the birth of her daughter, she had some of those magnetic letters on her refrigerator. And uh, she walked into the kitchen one day, and on the fridge, the letter spelled out, get the hell out. You're there living with your two-year-old son and your newborn daughter. Yeah. You know you didn't write it. I mean, what would be going through your mind? Like, the skeptic in me wants to to say that her friend put it on there to, like, egg her on to leave. You know? That's the skeptic in me. But if it wasn't the friend and it was the spirit... Guess what I would have done? I would have got the hell out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll do that. I mean, I'm sure she was stuck in a contract or a lease, and that's why she didn't leave. Um, good housing is hard to find, so I understand that. Well, that that's one of the questions that plagues my thoughts from time to time whenever I'm going over haunted cases and stuff. Is why don't they just leave? Yeah, you know, it always seems so simple, you know. You put up with a lot before you're finally pushed to leave, it seems like. Well, who wants to abandon their home Yeah. whenever you're experiencing something where even yourself, the whole time, you're like, is this really happening? Exactly, exactly. You know, shortly thereafter, she was, is the middle of the night, she's going to the bathroom, and she heard a raspy breathing sound. 
Lovely. And she followed the sound to her son's bedroom, who had bunk beds. I guess the son was sleeping on the top bunk. I'm not real sure. Sitting on the bunk beds was what she described as a haggard-looking old man Mm. staring at her, emotionless. She said he looked like a corpse. His skin was gray. He was wearing a red flannel shirt, Mm. high-water pants. Um, Nope, don't like that. I believe she said his pants looked like they were stained with, like, gasoline or something, like oil of some kind. Different accounts use different words to describe it, Mm -hmm. but I'm going with his eyes were red and yes. glowing that is that is the the two accounts that i read on that that's what was said yeah red glowing orbs of eyes terrifying it's in between her and her child is my first thought yeah my second thought is why didn't we record this during the day <laughs> <laughs> the the image of, and you're wearing a red flannel i know <laughs> But like the the image of the old man just I know. I don't like that, but I really the mom in me really doesn't like that it's between her and her child. That oh no 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 no. Absolutely not. I don't play around when it comes to any paranormal anything in my children. Like if my kid comes to me and he's like there's something in my closet and I'm like great, you can sleep in my bed the rest of the night and we're going to bless the house tomorrow. Like I don't play around. I don't make my kids go get back in their beds. And stick it out with the monster in there. Nope. You can come sleep with me and I'll take care of it tomorrow. I just can't get over some of the stuff. This past week, I posted a a thing on our Twitter account. Uh, that feeling you get whenever you can't remember if you close that cabinet door or not. Mm. We've talked about the cabinet doors in my kitchen. That's mm. something that's always been there. So the other night, <laughs> no. I go to the kitchen... Why do you I tell get me this a bowl out I'm of the here? cabinet and I I go to the bathroom and I come back and that cabinet door is wide open. Now then, yes, I could have possibly left it open. I'm not going to deny that at all. I don't remember if I closed the cabinet or not. However. But why would you not close the cabinet? Why would I not close the cabinet? And I was standing off to the left of the cabinet. I open it. I reach in and I get a bowl. Whenever I return from the bathroom, even if I had opened it and forgot to close it, the cabinet door was opened all the way wide open. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have opened it that wide to grab a bowl out of it. Yeah. I would have just cracked it enough to reach in and grab the bowl. That's what I always do. Maybe subconsciously, I'm the one that opened the cabinet. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about things like this Mm -hmm. and then going over the things that happened in this house. Yeah. Such as water gushing out of the light socket. What? Yeah, there's no way she accidentally did that. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't do that. Water gushing out of the light socket. A blood-like substance oozing from the walls. Now, later on, this would be investigated, caught on camera by the investigation team. A sample was taken, taken to a lab for analysis, where they discovered that it was... Male human blood plasma, high in iron and some other thing, but it was human blood plasma. I mean, the lab analyzed it and was like, yeah, and the stuff was oozing out of the cracks in the walls. 
Red rum. What? Like what? Where do you get plasma? And then, okay, where <laughs> do you get where do, where where do you, let's just say that they were like, okay, she's hoaxing us. Where would she get it? Yeah. To make that. Because I mean, this whole episode. She's I'm in just her like, early twenties. Okay, she's a single mom. The whole time watching her on camera, I mean, she's given numerous interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the time. Whenever she was giving interviews, I mean, she wasn't hoaxing. There's yeah. no way she was behind any of it. Mm-mm. She, you know, yeah, <laughs> not trying to go there, but at the same time, she's just, you know, yeah, there wasn't any way. She was freaked out. Mm-hmm. Some of the things, so the the oozing of the plasma from the walls. You said oozing. Yeah. Uh, she found herself, uh, like, she'd be in the kitchen and she'd looked down and she was surrounded by puddles of blood Uh, don't like that she would see objects flying across the room and she honestly thought she was losing her mind all of it was so intense and so beyond i mean even if you heard of a haunting you know yeah you wouldn't ever expect stuff like this to happen to Mm -mm. you i mean nobody would expect this to happen to them and the thing is, because of her situation, anybody she told would be like, oh, you're overtired, you're hormonal, you know, you have um, baby blues, you know, postpartum depression, you know, I'm sure. And in herself, even I've had two children. I have been in that situation where I am so damn tired. I did hallucinate shit. My mom, she hallucinated honest to God hallucinations after she had my brother. But then they stopped. This didn't keep going. Yeah, you t- you go to sleep, and the next day you're feeling refreshed. Like, this this does stop. Where hers wasn't just happening to her. No. Other people were experiencing this. The uh, oozing of the blood plasma, for instance, uh, was witnessed by a friend of hers who, who worked as her babysitter while they were washing dishes. From the Los Angeles Times, who actually wrote an article on the events. The ordeal, Hernandez says, was a grade-A walking nightmare, complete with strange lights, colored mist, apparitions, and stinking blood-like liquid oozing from the walls. Did I mention it had a smell? It had a smell. Yeah, they... mm. Even the most mundane household chores became forays into the unknown. The ooze, for instance... I'm sorry... Their words, not mine, began seeping (laughs) from the kitchen walls while Jackie and her friend and babysitter washed dishes. A daybed inexplicably collapsed many times, often while someone was on it. The haunting, if that's what it was, began slowly, Hernandez says. The cat chased eerie shadows around the house. Mm. Voices muttered in the attic. Then one day she saw pencils fly out of a pencil holder. She thought she was hallucinating, perhaps, because of her pregnancy. So Hernandez also had a dream where she was this young man who was hit in the head with a lead pipe Mm -hmm. and then drowned by his assailant. And it was in a harbor, she said, that looked like it was in the 1930s. That plays a big part later on in the story. It was after this stuff happened... (laughs) as if it wasn't enough, that her neighbor Susan suggested that she call Dr. Barry Taff. 
Dr. Barry Taff was uh, very well known in the paranormal field. I'm sure still is, but especially in the 80s and uh, early 90s. He was the go-to expert on the subject of the paranormal, investigated thousands of cases. He was the lead investigator for the Doris Bithers case, which led to the movie The Entity. Uh, he uh, led a, a big, famous investigation on the Queen Mary. I mean, all all the big haunted places, this mm-hmm. guy did his due diligence. And, you know, I know some people are going to be skeptical of him, but he always really impressed me. Like, he would debunk things mm-hmm. and approach it from a logical and scientific position. And he did the same with this case, only... They weren't expecting to walk into this. Right. You know? I'm sure they get a lot of calls. Yeah. And then he walks into this one. Yeah. And the neighbor actually would keep the kids for her. Mm-hmm. Keep the kids for Jackie. So the neighbor was kind of the babysitter, too. So The, the neighbor, Susan, is who we're talking about, mm-hmm. even said that uh, things started happening over at her house every now and then. Mm, I don't like that. And things would happen whenever she was away from Jackie almost letting her know that like it wasn't Jackie doing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's creepy about this story, uh, which we talked about before we started recording. It wasn't isolated to the house. The house wasn't what was being haunted. Mm-hmm. Whatever this thing was seemed to follow and affect anybody that came around. And would follow them back to their homes. It would follow Jackie wherever she went. That is terrifying. Yeah. You you can't get rid of it. You can't escape it. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You can't fight it. That sort of thing. You know, the idea of like haunted objects and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. You know, get rid of the object. Burn it. Whatever. Salt and burn it. You know, move out of the house. Get a different (laughs) home. But if you are the item that's haunted if the the entity spirit whatever is connected to you Mm -hmm. that would be terrifying so that's the thing that bothered me most about this case which we'll get into more of the details of their investigation and everything like that but the thing that bothered me the most about this case that almost made me even stop reading about it is that it's not just in her house it's in multiple locations multiple different you know things happening to different people that bothers me a lot because you know you think of like amityville horror right it happened in that house they left the house they were fine right or any other paranormal most other paranormal stories you leave the house you're fine not in this case no and then it scares me because I go to someone else's house, such as Matt, who owns the most haunted house in Tulsa, I'm convinced. And then I go back to my humble abode and I bring your janky old ghost with me. Easy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. That is. Who had a ghost wave up them from the top of the bathroom door? Shut up. It wasn't at my house. You have ghosts here, though. Yeah, they open cabinet doors. They don't wave at me. Okay, so my point is. That you could go anywhere and pick up someone else's ghost and bring it to your own house. I don't like that. Or that if your house is haunted, 
you could take it somewhere else. Like, so I could have someone come visit me and they could leave their damn ghost at my house. Yeah. Imagine being an Uber driver. That's not the same thing. Well, if somebody with their ghost got in for a ride and then the ghost was like, I'm sticking with this guy or girl or person. There is just not enough sage in this world. August 8th, 1989. Taft's team shows up loaded with ghost hunting equipment. They're going to investigate the house. They're bringing all their gear. You know, these are professionals. These are Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Well, the Ghostbusters, you know, they were based on these guys. Maybe. Probably. Can I I hum the theme song again, though? No. We don't have the rights to that. I've held off every time you've basically said ectoplasm. So. Uh, In the Los Angeles Times article, they actually were referred to as the Ghostbusters at one point. Ghost facers. Hashtag supernatural. So they get there. The That'll be cut from the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't be. Uh, <laughs> so this investigation was basically, they brought their equipment to try and get readings and stuff. You know, typical paranormal investigator stuff. But basically they were just going to interview her her neighbor, a couple mm-hmm. of the other witnesses, her friends or whatever, and get yeah. the story to see what was going on with this place. I'm sure, as paranormal researchers, just like Bigfoot researchers, you go into an area hoping to get activity, but pretty much expecting not to have anything real exciting yeah. happen. Well, basically, not the case. in this situation, it would be like you get a call from somebody who claims that they've seen a Bigfoot you go to their house to get the interview, and there's a Bigfoot standing in the front yard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can only dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while Taft's team was there, uh, Taft said the first thing that they noticed was a smell mm-hmm. uh, that they had smelled at other haunted locations, including the Doris Bithers residency, and the feeling of what he called overpressure. Mm-hmm. Like being underwater, just like a thickness yeah. in the air yeah. that is commonly associated yeah. with haunted areas. Yeah. I never thought of it like that. Omnipresent. But yeah. Yeah. I, I've always described it as like a thickness in the air, but I guess that makes sense that, you know, yeah. overpressure underwater. Yeah. Um, they started hearing something large uh, moving around in the attic that they described as like, uh, jokingly, a 200-pound rat. Well, back to the smell. They actually opened up all the windows and aired out the house to find the source of the smell and could not find the source. Oh, yeah. They they started trying to debunk as soon as they yeah. got there. And uh, Nada. Nada. Later that evening, team photographer Jeff Wheatcraft went up into the attic to investigate the sounds. And... He felt like something was watching him whenever he was up there. The attic isn't like the Ripper Crew's attic. (laughs) It's just an unfinished attic. The Ripper Crew attic was a basically unfinished attic. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it had a boo box. (laughs) But I'm saying this attic was unfinished. You know, it was just the space between the ceiling of the house and the roof of the house, which describes every attic ever created. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it was just an attic. It wasn't, there was no floor. There was no walls. 
There's not like <laughs> scary old mannequins stored up there and old yeah. trunks or it, there's nothing. There's like they said one like old fruit crate was like in the corner. Asbestos and beams. Yeah. Jeff decided to start or it was suggested to him would he be willing to go back into the attic and take photographs over his shoulder since he felt like somebody was like watching him from behind. He agreed to do this. So he started taking photographs over his shoulder behind his back. And on the third photograph, he says something grabbed the camera and wrenched it from his hand. That would freak anybody out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He wasn't expecting it to happen. Yeah. He takes off, I think, kind of out of fright, you know, crawls back. Because the opening of the attic was just a hole in the ceiling of the laundry room. It was, you know, there was no staircase or anything. He goes back up there with a flashlight and everything. He finds the lens of the camera in one far corner of the attic, removed from the camera body. And then the camera body was in the other corner of the attic, face down inside the fruit crate. Mm-mm. Nope. Which like is it. nowhere near where he was when he was taking photos mm-hmm. and he felt the camera pulled from his hand. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> no, that is terrifying by itself. Later on, he's up there with another guy on the team named Barry Conrad and is shoved from behind. Barry physically sees him when he's shoved. And according to Barry, It was clear, like, he didn't trip, he didn't stumble. You could see his body jerk, his torso jerk, as he was shoved. Mm -hmm. That's poor Jeff guy. Oh, poor Jeff. (laughs) Poor Jeff. It it gets way worse than that. I mean, it really did not like Jeff. Still, that same night, uh, after they get out of the attic, they start hearing steps in the attic. The house isn't a big house. Mm Mm-hmm. All this noise and stuff going on in the attic is captured on video and recorded audio. And you can see, like, the expressions on their faces. Mm -hmm. They're all freaked out. You can hear this thing pacing around. Uh, Lights were seen uh, up in the attic, like flashes of light. Jeff would eventually go back and peek his head up in the attic and look, you know, because whenever he heard the steps, he's been shoved. He had the camera torn out of his hand. He wants to see this thing. So he's got his head poked up through the hole and he's seeing like orbs and all kinds of things. And he sees what he described. There was enough light where he could see like the back of the attic. And there was a large black mass that floated from like one side of the room to the other. And he said it was like the size of like three grown men standing side by side. No. (laughs) Yeah. No. So then. (laughs) I do not consent to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So then. Jackie goes to close the opening to the attic later on. And she gets this freaked out. She kind of like, you know, screams or whatever and jumps back. And she swears that something had grabbed like the board that closes the hole and like yanked it out of her hands whenever she was trying to close it. Like something was standing like right there by the hole. And like you could hear this thing pacing around up there. I'm allergic to this episode. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. I don't like any of this. And it was after that night 
when things really started happening. I don't like this. This was a like a day or two. It was a very short period of time after the investigators left. All this happens. But then there's this day that takes place where all this stuff just happened. And Hernandez has kind of reached her wits end with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Toys were being levitated. Things were being thrown around. Uh, Doors were slammed. It was just high and constant activity the whole time. Hernandez calls Taff. The phone call was recorded. They, you know, they're talking to her. It's on the answering machine. You can hear the panic in her voice. She's like, I've got to get out of here. I can't be here anymore. I just want to take my kids and leave. Mm -hmm. She's freaking out. While she's freaking out on the phone with them, the line just goes dead. Mm -mm. And they're like, hello, hello, are you there? Are you there? You know, they're trying, you know, Jackie, are you there? Mm -hmm. They're talking about like, why is the line dead? Like it doesn't go to dial tone. It doesn't hang up. It's just gone. And then a few seconds later, she comes back, like doesn't call back. Mm -hmm. She's just back on the line. And she's like, yeah, something just happened. You know, the line went dead. So Taff tells her, just stay there. We're coming to get you. They know, you know, there's kids involved now. Yeah. We've got to get there. They return to the home. Now, I didn't include this in my notes because I only found it in one place. But during those events, one source said that at some point, I did find it where she said that like a ball had been thrown into the living room or something. But that was the only thing that I could find where she mentioned it. But one source said that it was a beach ball, like an inflatable beach ball had gotten thrown out of her son's room. And she's like standing there, like staring at it, like freaking out. Mm -hmm. And she walked over to retrieve the ball and that an invisible hand grabbed her and forced her down onto the floor and started choking her. And that she was able to get up and get on her feet and she grabbed a baseball bat and ran to the attic and tried to confront the thing because she feels that it lives in the attic. Mm-hmm. And it was after that point where she called them. Yeah. However, I couldn't find her stating any of this. Yeah. Another interesting thing, uh, before Taft's team ever investigated her, one of the claims that she was making was that at some point she was in the attic and saw basically a floating head like float up and get in her face just you know without a body i did see that and uh because of all the stuff that she was claiming Mm -hmm. taft's team was all kind of like they didn't believe her they thought it was bullshit yeah you know they're like this sounds like a movie yeah this this is too much this doesn't happen Mm. taft was you know a doctor he's he's got a degree i don't know how much credence you want to give that you know Mm. how much that lends to his credibility but whatever Wheatcraft, who experienced the camera thing and everything, was a school teacher who moved to New York to become a photographer Mm -hmm. and met up with Taff and got involved in the paranormal. Barry Conrad, the other photographer and team member, was a professional cameraman for like several news stations. And like all these guys are skeptics. So... To see them reacting to this stuff happening yeah. and all of it's caught on camera. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to be skeptical against that. Right. It seems very believable. So Taft's team returns to the house to save Hernandez. Mm. 
This is now their second visit. Only their second visit. Only their second visit. And shit got real in the first <laughs> visit. Well, it's fixing to get really real. So Wheatcraft goes back in the attic where he was attacked before. Because why not? Well, he wants to see a ghost. I understand that concept. I know. I'm sitting here like you freaking idiot. And then yeah. I realize I, I, I'm not stupid. I'm self-reflecting over here that I do the same thing in the woods. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, people do that, though, yeah. you know, like everybody wants to see it. So this mm. time they're accompanied with by a guy named Gary Beam. And Gary is going to go into the attic with Jeff. Jeff decides to go up in the attic by himself first to look around and make sure that nothing's been tampered with and everything looks the same. Right. And <laughs> everything is the same. Mm. Beam sees that, like, there's nothing in this attic. It's not anything like he expected from, like, the stories he had been told by the other guys. You know, he's really super skeptical. He's not even really part of the team or anything. Yeah. Uh, he mentions... You know, the fruit crate in the corner he is like, it's just a small fruit crate for like grapes or something. There's nothing up there that anybody could be like hiding behind. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, an open attic. Very small. Well, while Jeff's up there, everybody else stays downstairs. Stuff starts happening downstairs. One of the things that kind of scared me a little bit, they saw a light that they thought was Jeff with like a flashlight in the attic mm -hmm. because it came from the attic, the light source did, but it wasn't Jeff. He even like shined his light over there or something and they're like, no, that's not it. There's Jackie, her friend, and I believe Barry Conrad at the time who are downstairs because every time they went into the attic with the equipment or the video cameras or whatever, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. The equipment just failed. Downstairs? Equipment works fine. Conrad didn't want to risk taking his equipment up there and having something happen to it. So he stayed downstairs. So the three of them are kind of bunched up together in the kitchen area, which is right next to the attic entry in the laundry room. All three of them here, right by their faces in between them, three snaps. They said it sounded just like a person snapping their fingers in front of your face. Whenever that happened, they start freaking out. Jeff, Jeff, you got to get down here. You got to get down here. You know, Gary climbs down out of the attic first. Jeff is still in the attic behind him. He takes a step, blacks out for a moment. Cut to Jeff yelling. They've, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. You can, I mean, all of this was caught on camera and audio. Mm -hmm. You can see it for yourself. You hear him. Basically, it's like a muffled yell from the attic. Mm -hmm. Gary goes back up there. He's got a flash camera. He's flashing the camera, taking pictures because it's pitch black dark up there. And he captures images of Jeff, who is hanging by his neck in the attic. It all happened. Within a few seconds, a small piece of clothesline somehow wrapped itself around his neck, twisted, and then hung itself over a nail sticking out of one of the rafters. Jeff doesn't remember it happening. 
He said he blacked out for a moment. He didn't know what was going on. He felt something tugging him. But here's the interesting part. He also felt something pulling on his leg in the other direction. Now, was that something trying to pull on his leg to strangle him? Or was that something pulling on his leg trying to pull him down to unstrangle him? I don't like that. Don't know. Either way, whenever he climbs down out of the attic, and he's like, you know, something wrapped it around my neck. I don't know what it was. And like, he still has it around his throat. Yeah. He hasn't even taken it off. He, he doesn't even know what it is or anything. And you can see the red marks on his neck. Mm-hmm. In the photograph, you can see how he's like hanging at an angle with like his leg kind of like wrapped around the rafter. It's just a very awkward position that you could not put yourself in intentionally. Right. Like he, I mean, he would have had to have something to climb up and hang himself mm-hmm. on the nail. Uh, like you can't jump and no. and put the rope over the nail all in the pitch black. You right. Know? And I thought uh, before I had seen like the photographs and everything, mm-hmm. just reading the story over the years when I was younger, I thought, well, maybe it was hanging from a nail and he just happened to walk through it and Mm -hmm. as he walked it pulled tighter or whatever some weird scenario like that no yeah no (laughs) like this thing barely even fit over his head yeah and like the skeptic in me is like he wanted to go up there by himself he could have put it there and then but i mean but he was the other guy was up there gary bean was up there with him during this time Right, but he had gone up there alone before. Right, he could. It, there was time for him to like put it in place and everything. But why would you do that? Yeah, there's already enough happening. You don't need to add right. that to it. You really, and especially if you've already been accosted. Yeah. No, let's not tempt fate, shall we? So, uh, that freaks everybody out at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rightfully so. It changed Jeff forever. Obviously, uh, really freaked him out. Uh, I saw an interview with his sister who said that he had always approached this stuff very skeptically and, Mm -hmm. you know, from a logical standpoint was constantly trying to explain things away and debunk them. And after that happened, he was just done, you know, like he, he had no explanation. He doesn't remember how it happened. And, uh, later on the events that occurred to him, during this investigation, uh, Taff said that Jeff would have to go away from his family and his friends and everything for like a week or two at a time because he was suffering from PTSD from these events. Mm. That's how bad they affected him and stuff. Yeah, that would do it. And this is the only case outside of the movies Mm -hmm. that I know of where some sort of spiritual entity made a physical attempt to like really seriously kill somebody or hurt them. Mm-hmm. Shortly after those events, Hernandez moved. She relocated herself and her kids to Weldon, which is about 300 miles north of San Pedro, and things returned to normal. They moved into a trailer, uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, There were some other people that lived nearby, neighbors and stuff, but it was a very remote community. She was pretty much out there by herself, but she uh, quickly learned that she wasn't 
as much alone as she thought she was. Things didn't remain normal for long. Mm. Uh, She heard scratching and knocks. The mystery orbs that she had seen in her other home started appearing in her new home. And uh, a black shadowy mass was seen. Some of the neighbors saw the things happening as well. I believe a neighbor was at her house when they saw the shadowy mass move across the hallway. And shortly after that, her daughter's bedspread mysteriously caught on fire. I saw a photo of the bedspread. Mm-hmm. It was like three small burns like in a triangle. Could have been done with a cigarette. But why would you do that to your daughter's bedspread? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take it for what it is. Then a couple of her neighbors were helping her move this large old school big screen television. Mm-hmm. And it had been out in this storage shed and it was covered with a blanket to keep the dust off of it and everything. And this husband and wife neighbors of hers, you know, took the blanket off and the wife kind of steps back and she's like, there's a face in there. And she was at a different angle where she could see the screen. Mm -hmm. And the husband's like, what are you talking about? And like, no, that's just dirt. And he said he took his hand and wiped the dirt off. And whenever he wiped the dirt off, he could see the face of like an old grizzled man on the screen of this big screen television. Of course, Hernandez associates it with the old man from her former home. I don't like that. Yeah. (laughs) So apparently that night, Hernandez, I don't know if anybody was with her. But she said that she heard somebody pounding on the walls of the shed from the inside like they were trying to get out of it. Mm-mm. To me, Mm-mm. that's just Mm-mm. super creepy. Mm-mm. Super creepy. Mm. So she starts experiencing all these things at her new house. She's once again, she was on camera. I think it was like one of her neighbors like filmed it or whatever and she just likes she's burst out into tears Mm -hmm. and she was like i'm so scared and i don't know why i just feel something you know i've she's freaked out again high emotions i had read from another source that during this move she had tried to reconcile with her Mm ex-husband and that everything was fine but then once again they get into it And he left her, just abandoned her. And that's whenever all this stuff started happening Mm. at the new location. Yeah. So Hernandez calls Taft's team. Uh, She kept in touch with them. And two of them drove out there, Wheatcraft being one of them. They go out there. As soon as they get out there, Wheatcraft says he sees like a black shadow move across the storage shed. The neighbor kid says, I saw a weird light behind him whenever he went into the shed. You know, I don't know. I've never seen anything before, but I can't explain it. Well, Hernandez gets the bright idea. They're out here. I want activity to happen. I want them to know that I'm not crazy. What better thing to do than pull out the Ouija board? Sweetie. (laughs) Like you needed to prove this to anybody. (laughs) Why? Yeah. Why? So, 
They bust out the Ouija board. Great. It's the two members of Taft's team, including Wheatcraft, her, Jackie Hernandez, and a couple of her neighbors. According to this group of people, they get the Ouija board set up on a table. Immediately, the table starts shaking. Stuff starts happening. They said that the the planchette started rapidly moving all over the board. It was answering questions directly. It was answering in complete sentences, using proper grammar. Spelling was correct. Everything. Jeff said that he had witnessed, you know, Ouija boards before, and you mm-hmm. get like one or two letters that can kind of maybe be made out to something. Yeah. He said this, we were hardly able to keep up with what it was saying. Uh, one of the girls there said, you know, it was like moving so fast that even if they had wanted to hoax it, they wouldn't have had time to direct it mm-hmm. because it was just moving that rapid. Yeah. Uh, Hernandez was keeping notes of what it was saying. And this is what it said. I don't like it. No. You just, you know, you let's just, all right. <laughs> Good show. <laughs> and that's a wrap. I don't like it. Question. How long have you been trapped in the spirit world? Oh, Answer. 60 years. Question. Did you die in the San Pedro house? Answer. No. Question. Where did you die? Answer. San Pedro Bay. Mm-hmm. Question, did you drown? Answer, no, I was held underwater. (laughs) Splitting hairs, but okay. (laughs) Question, did you live in the San Pedro house? Answer, my murderer lived there. Great. Hernandez says the ghost also revealed that he had been born in 1912 and died in 1930. It was at this point, the table's been shaking violently from time to time. Of course, they lit candles because, you know, that's what yeah, you do. You know. can't use a Ouija and with the lights on. Candle flames are flickering and everything. Poor Jeff. Oh, Jeff. They watch as Jeff's chair levitates with him in it into the air, and then Jeff is thrown across the room and slammed into the wall of the trailer. A few minutes later, he's okay. But whenever that happened... One of the girls that was there, like, ran out of the house, like, nope, I'm not Mm -hmm. doing this. I wonder if, at what point, Jeff started wearing an adult diaper to (laughs) these investigations. Hernandez grabs her son, who's asleep on the couch, Mm -hmm. gives him to the girl that had ran outside, who's, like, refusing to come back in. Oh, good. She did this with her children there, of course. Yeah. The daughter is asleep in her bedroom. Oh, for love. And Hernandez is like afraid to go get her. But, you know, whatever. She does. So they are able to take the information and go and do some research. And they actually found newspaper articles. Uh, about how did, how did they find those? Uh, microfish, I believe, at the library. Oh. County records. I don't know. Newspapers. It was an old newspaper okay. that had an article about the death of a seaman named Herman Hendrickson whose body was found floating under a pier on March 25th, 1930. So Hendrickson, in the article, was 10 years older than the age indicated by the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. He had a jagged wound on the top of his head, and the coroner ruled that he had drowned. 
so basically they thought that the guy fell off the dock and hit his head and that's how he died. Mm -hmm. But the original newspaper article says that the authorities thought there was foul play involved, but they never found any clues or any suspects or anything. So they just said, well, it could have happened this way and was Mm -hmm. accidental. But Jackie had had a dream. Jackie had had that dream. And they also found in their investigation that the knot that was on the clothesline was an old fisherman's knot that somebody who worked on the docks and everything during the 1930s would have used all the time. So to me, none of that, even though all of this like kind of confirms Jackie's dream, the knot ties into it, all of that. That's not the creepiest thing. Mm-hmm. The creepiest thing is during the Ouija episode, they asked other questions. And one of the questions asked was something along the lines of how many ghosts are there? Nope, I don't like that. And the response that they got was, quote, phantoms fill the skies around you. And we're done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On Planet Fear. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great night. <laughs> I mean, it used the word phantoms. I know, like, that's like certainly that. like, you know, that's like an old timey thing. That's like Jackie Hernandez, 23 from San Pedro, isn't going to use the word phantom. I'm not kidding. I think I'm breaking out in hives over here. I'm itching. Phantoms fill the skies around you. Great. Creepiest answer ever achieved on a Ouija board. And, and I'm pretty sure it was one of those Milton Bradley Ouija boards, too, which just makes it worse. Seriously, I don't. I have to walk to my car. But then things take a twist. Something followed Barry Conrad home after the investigation. See, this is what I was talking about. Now, here's where things get kind of iffy, because I watched the footage where they were documenting things happening in his apartment, which is a very small apartment. And everything that happened could have been staged. Mm-hmm. But why would it be staged? You know, the these are paranormal investigators with their names on the line. You know, they don't need to stage it. Mm-hmm. So it seemed kind of odd that they would stage it, but I'm just putting the disclaimer out there because the stuff that happened there is pretty incredible. For instance, he would leave. He would come home. Stove burners would be turned on, on his gas stove in the kitchen. He would just walk in, they'd be on. He would leave the room, hear the tea kettle going off, sitting on the stove, the tea kettle's on, you know, the burner's going. Another big part of the activity going on in his house was scissors. Oh, great. Uh, They pulled back like the pillows and the bedspread, and there was two pairs of scissors open laying underneath the pillows on the bed. They had a uh, one of those old cosmetic mirrors Mm -hmm. with the lights around it. Yeah. uh, Sitting for some reason in the kitchen. It came on by itself. There was a window that was shattered. I believe in the bedroom. And of course, Wheatcraft was there. Oh. Wheatcraft and Conrad are 
clean up all this broken glass. And there's one piece in particular that was on the bottom of the window that came to a real jagged point. Mm-hmm. And it, so it stood out, you know, to Conrad or whatever. So they clean up all this glass. They put it in a cardboard box and they walk it out to the dumpster and throw it away. They come back and sitting on the typewriter is that shard of glass that they had just boxed up and thrown away and immediately walked back inside. Mm. They're like, how it got back inside before us, no idea. Why, you know, but it was very, I mean, it, it was, <laughs> you know, a shard of glass. That's kind of intimidating. And it's like sitting very. on the typewriter. So they call this other guy, uh, Beam over there. He's documenting everything one night. He said that, I can't remember what time it was, but he wrote something down. He's just taking notes of every separate thing that occurred Mm -hmm. over the period of the night. And he said by the next morning, he had like a full page of like 30 to 40 things written down. Mm. All in the period of one night. At one point, a broom was left stuck on top of the stove and like leaned up against the wall. Almost like saying, like, you know, I could have lit this on fire if I wanted to. They actually left an envelope and an ink pen laying on the middle of the stove to try and get it to write something on the envelope Mm -hmm. to see if it would. Came back a few minutes later. The envelope is on a lit burner burst into flames. Oh, my God. Conrad's got a professional news camera on his shoulder, you know, documenting Mm -hmm. the stuff. Something during the course of the night took felt tip markers, two different colors, and scribbled all over the lens of the camera without anybody noticing or anything until they just like happened to catch it. You know, Mm -hmm. like they walk into the kitchen, there's a crashing sound, or no, they walk out of the kitchen and there's a crashing sound. They run back into the kitchen, and one of the pairs of scissors that had been placed under the pillows is now laying up against the like base of the counter in the kitchen, mm-hmm. like on the floor. At one point they were in the kitchen and left the kitchen. And immediately after leaving the kitchen, there's a large crash sound. They run back in there and there's a box of 22 caliber bullets. Oh, great. That was dropped onto one of the burners of the stove. And there's like other bullets that had spilled out of the box, like on the kitchen floor. And Wheatcraft's like, you know, we got to clean these up before it turns the stove on again. Mm-hmm. He's freaking out. And of course, at one point, something grabs Jeff, oh, Jeff. and pins him against the wall between two shells. And he said that this time it was different, though. It didn't feel like something had shoved him, it felt like something was inside him. And forced him between these shells and up against the wall. God, dude. And once again, all this stuff caught on camera and audio and everything. Mm. The problem being, you're seeing the vantage point of one camera. Mm-hmm. Something happens and they turn around and go back and, oh, look what it is. Mm-hmm. So the person behind them could have done it. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been staged. Yeah. It's always interesting to me is we debunk stuff 
Right. Mm-hmm. Like my throughout this whole thing, I'm like, yeah, well, that could have been this. That could have been that. Why do you think we debunk things so hard? Because it's better and more comforting to debunk it than mm-hmm. think that it's real. Yeah. It's like we're investigating this, but it's almost like we want it to not be real so hard. <laughs> well, I think, you know, with the stuff that you and I both have experienced in our own lives, knowing what is out there that isn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We would like to keep that as small <laughs> of a number as possible. Yes. So uh, eventually Hernandez returns to the L.A. area. Uh, activity still follows her. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spring of 1990, she was visiting her old house in San Pedro. Why? Why? Yeah. Why would you go back there? Well, to return the ghost, like here, okay, you're home, bye. She claims. <sighs> she claims there's an answer to that. Okay. But she claims that she saw a bright ball of light outside the house, and that she followed it to a nearby cemetery, and that it circled around and floated around a uh, grave marker, and then disappeared. And that grave marker marked the grave of John Damon. And that was the end of the Hernandez poltergeist. However, activity still followed her, still continues on. I, I yeah. guess forever. <laughs> uh, she said that it like became really infrequent, though. Mm-hmm. However, there were some people around her, friends, uh, that weren't really talking to her anymore over the years mm-hmm. because they said that she kind of became obsessed with all of it and would read into things much farther than they need to be. Mm-hmm. But I think after what that's she to be been through, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, she had to be cautious and careful about everything because a, what if it's ramping up again? Right. If you hear a noise outside and you look out your window and there's a werewolf standing there. Yeah. Every time there's a noise outside, you're not going to think it's a raccoon or the wind. <laughs> you're going to think it's a werewolf. Thanks, Matt. There's no werewolves outside. Oh, shut up. You already said it. And the thing is, as of like September 2008, that San Pedro cottage is still haunted. There's still, still haunted. things happening there. Yeah. Other people that have lived there off and on over the years all claim Stuff strange things. sounds, lights, black shadowy masses. I ain't written it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, all this information, like you can see the house on Google Maps. I mean, the address is easily available. If you're in the San Pedro area, you can go Why? take a picture of the house, I guess. <laughs> I don't like it. You know, Whenever, so I went to Galveston this past weekend for just a girl's weekend. And I was looking for an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Oh, I found all these cute little cottages, this mermaid cottage, the starfish cottage. Well, I came across this one cottage and it said, definitely not haunted. Hmm. Which sounded a little suspicious to me, <laughs> but okay. And I was like, yeah. I ain't stupid. I ain't renting <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, definitely not renting. <laughs> yeah. So I go to the next one. You know, the next one is cute. It's in our price range. It's like a block from the beach. I'm like, yeah. Showed my mom. She was like, yep, we got it. Damned if that 
freaking Airbnb was not ca- freaking. It, it was haunted. <laughs> we're in there. We walk in. We're like, oh, this is cute. This is a cute little cottage. We're, you know, having a great time. I'm in the bathroom washing my face. I noticed that the door, it, the house, it was a little bit uneven. So the door would kind of swing mm-hmm. shut on its own, right? But I was bent over washing my face and I had the door wide open, right? I was bent over washing my face. All of a sudden the door shut hard. And I was like, okay. And I rinsed my face and kind of looked up and I'm like, well, that would have been fine if that wouldn't have happened just now. Um, And I said, okay, excuse me. I wanted the door open. Please keep it open because it was hot in there. So I opened the door and it glides shut again and doesn't slam shut this time, right? Because I'm looking at it. Right. So I go over there and I pull the door shut myself. It was like the door jam was swollen. You know how you have to like and pull it hard to shut it. So, yes, the door was uneven, but it shouldn't have slammed shut because you really had to give it some oomph to get that door to shut. Okay, so that happened. Whatever. I'm like, uh, uneven house and air currents. I don't know. It's fine. I go to take a nap. Or no, I, I think I was just going to bed. I get in bed and I always sleep on my side with my arm under my pillow and my hand kind of hanging out there. <laughs> Not off the bed. I'm, I, I'm shaking my head. I know. No. <laughs> I was I was facing the middle of the bed. Rule number one. I was sharing dangles. a bed with my mother. Okay? okay. She was in bed. I had my hand just laying there and all of a sudden my hand goes like this. Hmm. And I was I kind of looked at it and I was like, is that a reflex? Did I do that? And I'm like, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm like, Am I would. I a Muppet? <laughs> <laughs> like, I would know if I did that, you know, because it was like a blatant, like it pushed my hand over. And so I start feeling around on my mom's pillow and under my mom's pillow because I thought maybe her hand hit me mm. or her pillow hit my hand, whatever. Well, no, her hand is, she's not even anywhere near me. You didn't feel like a dog licking your hand, did you? Oh, shut up. That's creepy. No, no. Anyway, I inadvertently picked a haunted Airbnb. And Galveston is a very old community of old houses. We were in a very old house. We went on a cemetery tour later. The whole point of me saying all that is I have been living in discomfort for the past few days that I've been home, worried that I brought that thing home with me. And this tonight did not help. The Hernandez poltergeist story did not help. So basically, I'm going to have to go home and sage the entire hell out of myself. And you should sage and sage often, just in case. On Planet Fear. On Planet Fear. (laughs) 